Believe it or not, we've already whizzed through March, which means that we've come to the end of our Women's History Month 2020 series here on the Workplace. In today's program, we end Women's History Month 2020 by concluding a two-part discussion with Rachel Kolsky, prize-winning Blue Badge London tour guide. Rachel shares more from her book Women's London, the only guidebook that focuses on the women who have made an impact on London through the centuries and their legacy. Women's London explores sites, statues, plaques and buildings associated with famous and not so famous women who have made their mark on London's heritage, culture and society. To conclude this two-part discussion, today Rachel talks about plaques, statues and street names in London that commemorate women. Towards the end, she also shares with us what's needed if you want to become a tour guide. Visit golondontours.com. to connect with Rachel. Rachel, welcome back to the workplace. So we got a bit of an introduction about you last time. Just give us a bit of a recap of what you spoke about in the last episode. Well, I was very lucky to talk about me actually and what I do, which I think is rather super. So thank you. But we were concentrating on my book Women's London, which is a way of looking at London and the women that have shaped London and the legacy they've left behind and how you can actually enjoy walking around London dis- discovering them. So we talked about how the book came about and that really sort of covers a little bit about me as well. We covered how you can discover women when you're least expecting it, you know, which is always rather super for me. And um also stories that get developed. So it might be a lady that I know about and I've researched, but then I meet somebody who was related to that particular woman and the stories are enhanced. So it's all about discovery and enhancement. I think that was uh, but linked to wonderful women. Tell us what you're going to talk to us about today. Today we're going to concentrate I think on finding finding women throughout throughout London and there are three key ways you can you can find them actually just while you're on the streets. You don't have to go into any buildings, which of course, you know, is a is a is important if it's a weekend and buildings aren't open. One would be plaques commemorating women. Two, another way uh, would be uh, sculptures and busts of women dotted around London. And thirdly, the street names. When you're following your your map, whether it's on a phone or in a good old fashioned A to Z, you've got to look at the street names. So three three key ways. All right, so let's begin with the plaques. What can you tell us about plaques commemorating women in London? Well, firstly, um I should mention that a lot of people are getting very very agitated about how few plaques there are to women in London. And I just want to um I just want to concentrate on that a little bit. When there's a statistic that is always borne out by people saying for every eight plaques to men there's only one to a woman. I think it's important to remember uh those campaigners are talking about what we call official blue plaques that's the uh the plaques um erected unveiled by English heritage but lots and lots of organizations around London put up plaques whether it's local London boroughs whether it's local societies the Nubian Jack Trust is a phenomenal um organization which should always be be remembered uh, they put up plaques to uh, black, black people um Um so I actually believe there are lots of plaques to women around London and there's a feature in the book linked to those plaques. For me one of the interesting things about plaques is where you expect to see a plaque and there isn't one or where you expect to see a plaque to a woman and there's a plaque to a man and so I think the choosing of plaques is quite important and so 
Um, I like to contemplate buildings where there should be a plaque to a woman, but there isn't one uh, uh, yet. And plaques are still being unveiled. I think that's something else to remember about London. It's an evolving city. You know, nothing stands still. So um, new plaques are being unveiled uh, to women, and men for that matter, but we're concentrating on women all the time. And it's a lovely way to commemorate where somebody was born, where they died, where they worked, where they, where they lived. You mentioned uh, it's sometimes you know strange to see a plaque where you don't expect to see one or and tell me a bit more about that so for instance um, a good example would be Toynbee Hall in Whitechapel Toynbee Hall opened in 1884 um, a social center uh, plus a settlement established by Samuel and Henrietta Barnett when you go there you actually there is a blue plaque on Toynbee Hall but it's actually to the warden Jimmy Mallon very important and worthy of a plaque but it's curious that the people that founded it didn't did, don't have their name on, on, on a plaque likewise around the corner is Whitechapel what was public Whitechapel Public Ga- uh, Library which is now subsumed into the Whitechapel Art Gallery and that was also um, established by Samuel and Henrietta Barnett but the plaque is to Isaac Rosenberg a poet who spent some of his formative years at the library and it, again it just it's in, it just interests me which plaques which people are selected you know to commemorate those buildings I want to say in actual fairness that uh, the Barnetts do have a blue plaque it's up at Hampstead they uh, they lived in Whitechapel he was a vicar in Whitechapel but they had a, a country house as it were a country home in Hampstead you know on the edge of northwest London and there's a blue plaque to them to them there so they they are commemorated and in fact in the book if I may be so bold as to mention what I've done is a a, um, a feature about Hampstead Garden Suburb, which was a, a cooperative housing estate that was established uh, by Henrietta Barnett with a great team of supporters and uh, architects that she worked with. Um, and that's very much her legacy. So uh, there's a feature about her vision for that, that area. So on this, continuing with this point of... Um places where you would expect to see a plaque but you don't see you know to someone those that you mentioned the plaques were commemorating men do you have any situation of you thinking okay i expect to see a plaque about a woman here but there is no plaque for example yes i would have i would have thought at toynbee hall okay. and at um at the Whitechapel art, art, art gallery um the, the, those two sta- stand out um a plaque that was actually unveiled just a year or so ago uh, is at at Russell Square, there's a big hotel there called Hotel Russell. It changes its name. It's now called something else at the moment. And that was built on the site of um, a row of houses in which lived the Pankhurst ladies, Emmeline Pankhurst, the mother, and her three daughters, Christabel, Adela and Sylvia. And just a year or so ago, a plaque was unveiled to, to commemorate they lived for five years in a house on that, on that site. And so that's really, really rather nice because... Uh, they founded the WSPU, the Women's Social and Political Union, in Manchester. And so it's nice that their London bases are, are commemorated. I, I should say that there is an official blue plaque to um, Emmeline Pankhurst um, in Holland Park, where she lived for a time as, as well. I, I personally believe that you can't have too many plaques. I'd like to see plaques on almost every building. I, I believe that almost every building, something interesting has happened somebody's born died worked lived discovered something so for me the more plaques are more plaques the better and I think also it allows for people to really understand the story behind some women so a couple of my women have got numerous plaques of course only one blue plaque but 
they so Mary Wollstonecraft is a good example the mother of feminism a lot of people describe her as an amazing lady from the 18th century and she has uh, plaques in Hackney in um, Newington Green and down in uh, Southwark and so again if you are interested in a particular woman these plaques are a wonderful way of walking in their footsteps you know and of course you can do that anyway just with a map but when you actually have something visual to see as well I believe visuals always help those stories uh, consolidate within within your memory if there isn't anything else you want to tell us about plaques shall we move on to statues now statues there's another um, um, figure a statistic that is um, touted about statues is that in London just 2.7 statues are to women this is actually very very low um, but I always like to make uh, sorry what does that mean just 2.7 2.7% of statues in London are to women which is a low statistic however I like to make something positive out of every negative and I like to say it's quality not quantity and I would say that if you go around London the statues have, that have been erected to women are really quite phenomenal. So a lot of statues to men, they're nice statues, very well done, but let's face it, some of them, they're all on horseback or they're just standing. You know, there's not much of a story linked. Whereas when you look at the statues that women have got, they all tell a story. So um, quality, quality, not quantity in, in my book. Um, some of my favourites um, include the one to um, Amy Winehouse at uh, Camden Town. She sadly died far too young, age 27. It's a lovely statue. You know, when you look at it, if you go up to it, you can sense her frailty. You know, she's tiny, but it also depicts things linked to her that tell the story. She has a Star of David around her neck. She was Jewish. She's got her beehive um, hairstyle. She's got the eyeliner around her eyes. She had that very distinctive way of standing with one foot turned in. It's, it's quintessentially um, Amy, and I think it's a lovely statue. Another statue I'm particularly fond of is the one of, uh, to Agatha Christie by Leicester Square Station. Now, Leicester Square Station has to be one of the b- biggest, busiest areas. You, know, you walk from Leicester Square to Covent Garden, hordes of people all the time. The number of people on my theatreland tours, I've stood at that and they've gone, I've never noticed that before. So these guidebooks and guided tours allow people to stop and look as opposed to just walk by, typically on your phone, everybody. Um, And interestingly, the statue to Agatha Christie, the author, commemorates the anniversary, I think 60th anniversary, of The Mousetrap, her play that's still still running, the longest running play in London. But again, it's a sculpture that has so many details. If you knew nothing about Agatha Christie, you would know so much after looking at it. It's got her it's got her bust for a start. It's got a little mouse in a mouse trap. It's got pyramids, death on the Nile. It's got a train, murder on the Orient Express. Um, it's got um, a picture of the house where she lived in Devon, in, in the southwest of England. It tells her story. And it's got books. It's done as a book as well. Very, very visual. If you go to Stockwell, not everybody wants to go to Stockwell. Most people in London have never been to Stockwell. You should go to Stockwell, everybody. As you come out of the station, there's um, um, these uh, air vents, uh, vent, uh, um, sort of cylinders, but with a magnificent mural uh, depicting Stockwell life, including uh, Violet Zabo, a very, very famous lady um, who sadly was killed during the Second World War. Um, but um, next door to the uh, ventilation and the s- 
the mural is a sculpture called The Bronze Woman. And this is very important. This was the first sculpture in London to a, a, black, uh, a black woman. And it represents so much. It represents uh, motherhood. It represents emancipation from, from slavery and, um, and, and, and freedom. And it's a, it's a l- beautiful piece. Um, very underseen because it's at Stockwell. But it's on the Victoria Line, which is one of the swiftest, cleanest, quickest uh, routes. So all you've got to do is get on the tube pop out of Stockwell, have a look, and pop back. and um, So all around you, um, a newer statue, I think dating around 2011, is in Bermondsey. And again, interestingly, um, this is to Ada Salter, uh, before her statue was unveiled, the statue, the, the piece, was actually of her husband and their daughter and a cat. When the statue of the husband, um, Alfred Salter, was stolen, when they re raise money to recast it and replace it somebody had the great idea of why don't we have a statue of Ada as well because they were a real team they were an amazing team Ada and Alfred Salter and her statue tells the story as well she was very modest she was the mayor never wore her chain but she loved open spaces and wanted people of Bermondsey to enjoy open spaces so she's holding a spade so you look at the statue and you think why is this woman holding a spade and if you ask the questions you then learn the stories behind. So you told us about some of the statues around London depicting women, but do you know of any statues that were sculpted by women? Because I'm guessing all of these were sculpted by men, even though they are uh, commemorating women. Uh, uh, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. And I think, um, yes, a lot of the statues um, of women were sculpted by men. Nothing wrong in that. Again, if they're good, I'm, I'm all about quality. Uh, you know, it's got to be good. But in fact, one of the most important statues to have been unveiled in London recently was unveiled in 2018 in Parliament Square. The statue of Millicent Fawcett, uh, the first woman to have a statue in Parliament Square, and that was uh, designed and fashioned by um, Gillian Waring, the um, uh, the artist. So there you have um, a piece of uh, about a woman by a woman, and and an amazing piece it is to it. Again, for me, it tells a story. I can stand in front of that Millicent Fawcett statue for hours. I know people think, oh yeah, Rachel's off again. Um, it, it it truly tells a magnificent story. I should also say. Somebody had a eureka moment about that statue and Millicent Fawcett was the figurehead for the Votes for Women campaign for decades but on the plinth below her feet are photographs of other people, mostly women but a few men if they deserve it, um, are depicted. So you've got the whole story of the Votes for Women campaign at her feet. So if you haven't yet been to see it, uh, do go. And again everybody, the glory of these plaques and, and statues is they're free just walk around London and they're there for you to enjoy let's move on now to finding women in London through street names well yes I mean you you go around London and when you find anything you've typically got to look at a, a street name and you know I always like to say to people on my tours you know every street name has a reason behind it I, I, but I always then tell them please don't ask me the story behind every street name because there are thousands but I think on the whole and as you go around London it's quite amazing how many uh, 
streets are named after women. In fact, what we did in the book was we made a nice little uh, collage of, of street names. And some of the names are going to jump out at people as being quite, um, as quite famous. So there's a Beaton Close up in Hatch End in northwest London named after Isabella Beaton. And most people know her as Mrs. Mrs. Beaton, you know, the, the recipe book or book of household management. What most people don't realise is when they often think of her as sort of a nice, you know, genial, middle, middle-aged, you know, middle-class lady, you know, with an apron around her. She actually never reached her 30th birthday. You know, she died very, very young. But people have this image in their mind of a, a much older, older lady. And she's got a fascinating story. And that's, that's profiled in the, um, in, in the book. Um, if you go down towards Waterloo, uh, area, Waterloo Station area, you'll find there's um, a Bayliss Road and a, a, a Cons Street and um, that's uh, linked to Lillian Bayliss and Emma Cons. Um, Lillian Bayliss was the niece of Emma Cons and both of them were uh, very much instrumental in what you know today as the Old Vic Theatre and um, Lillian Bayliss not only helped uh, you know, keep the Old Vic Theatre preeminent in that theatrical world but she's the lady behind the um, renaissance as it were of Sadler's Wells up in Islington so you can you, you know these street names are often linked to the areas and then they they're a wonderful sort of gateway into a much larger story and to get you exploring London as well you know being in Waterloo will then take you up up to Islington. Um, near um, Sadler's Wells, um, you also have um, Owens Row and Owens Street. And that's, uh, those, those um, areas are named after um, uh, Dame Alice Owen, who um, established a girls' school in, um, in Islington. It's now, uh, it's now north, of, north of London. And again, Owen. You know, people often think, Owen, you know, it's a very you know, nondescript name. But once you start looking into it, you've got a whole story um, be- behind. Um, in Borough, near, um, near London Bridge, you've got Ayres Street, named after Alice, Alice Ayres. Again, you know, um, she was... A very interesting story and sad. She was um, a, a nurse. Uh, there was a fire at the house uh, where she was living, and she threw um, uh, children out for, for safety. They they were throw, they were, managed to escape, but she ultimately died from her burns. And so she's commemorated as a street. But then, if you look at the story, if you then go to the city of London near um, uh, near St Paul's Cathedral, it's Postman's Park where members of the public who have died while saving the lives of others are commemorated. And so you can go from Borough and Air Street up to the City of London and everything is linked. And if you are interested in cinema, I mean, one of the things I particularly love about uh, London are film locations. You know, if I'm watching a film and there's London in it, I'm always thinking, oh, where, where's that? And Postman's Park, where Alice Air's plaque is, uh, um, was featured in a, new, in a number of films. So you can then link it to when you're sitting at home, getting out your DVDs. You, know, you can explore London that way as, as well. It's just a magnificent jigsaw and tapestry. If you can, uh, looking at your collage here, what can you tell me about Milkmaid's Passage and Seville Row? Mm. Well, um, Milkmaid, Milkmaid's uh, Passage is uh, actually down in St James's. So there's an uh, so if you if you start at Green Park Station, then walk down a pedestrian uh, walkway down towards Buckingham Palace. Milkmaid's Passage will be on your left, and it's just a reminder of of, of when um, you know 
St James's Park and Green Park area was filled with milkmaids and milk being delivered, and that was just a little passageway. It's it's that it's that simple. Um, Savile Row is a is an interesting case because that's named after Dorothy Savile, a woman, but Savile Row in people's collective brain is uh, bespoke tailoring for men. But I should actually add a PS to that. Absolutely for generations, Savile Row meant men, men's clothing. But of course, women are gradually breaking through. And, you know, as women are are becoming as preeminent in the corporate world as, as men in, in many ways, there's a corporate dress for them. And they, they also want bespoke t- uh, tailoring. And so you're finding now tailors on Savile Row purely catering for women, or you'll find women cutters. You know, cutting is the is one of the key elements of making any bespoke suit and in fact in my I have a little feature in the book called um, a sort of um, a list of British female firsts and uh, we profile in uh, Catherine Sargent who was the first female cutter on um, on Savile Row so again you, if you if you seek if you seek groundbreaking women you're going to you're going to find them it's all about being inquisitive it's all about being uh, curious it's all about just thinking beyond what you immediately see and those stories are there to be discovered all right and so we're coming to the end now and uh, shall we wrap up with um talking about street the founder or the creator of the a to z uh, dear old Mrs. P. Well, I'm old school. Uh, people, you don't have to meet me for very long to know I'm, I'm an IT dinosaur. And I don't go anywhere without um, a hard copy map of London in my bag. And um, the most famous map of London, it's known as the A to Z, typically geographers A to Z, but everybody just calls it A to Z. It's red, white and blue. And for people of my age, uh, you know, you just can't imagine going around London uh, without it. Um, it was uh, the brainchild in the 1930s of a lady called Phyllis Pearsall. Her father was involved in making uh, map books, I mean, you know, whatever. And uh, she just had this idea of, of making the map for London. But one of the things that... one of the th- There were a couple of things that were very important to Phyllis Pearsall. First of all, she walked around London. She just walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. And secondly, when she did the maps... It's the streets that are important. It's a, the book is about the streets. It's about finding a way around. So it's not about the buildings. The buildings take a second place to the streets. That's about it. And she also pl- had took poetic license, but I suppose it's visual license as it's a, a book, on how they're displayed. So some roads are wider, you know, to show clearly major thoroughfares where you'd be walking whatever so some roads are wider she she was very clever in use of colour um, I mean it, what's interesting when you look at the A to Z's I, I, I like old A to Z's actually so for instance in the old A to Z's there were blocks of brown now that was typically military of defence or top secret areas and what's interesting if you look at um, off limits to the public. If you look at some old A to Zs, and when I say old, I'm talking about in my memory. We're not talking about Dickensian. Um, and now look, those are often areas which are now heavily populated with blocks of flats. And so you can see now how London uh, is, is changing. You know, when you look at A to Zs historically, you know, decade upon decade, you can see the changing face of London. Look at the Dockland areas in an old A to Z, predominantly water. Now you look, predominantly streets. And don't forget, look carefully at the names of those streets because a lot of them are named, linked, OK, not necessarily to women, but linked to the history of the, of the area. 
I'm sorry to disappoint you, but um, I think uh, most people will be looking at their phones <gasps> and uh, <laughs> the, the various no. app maps on the phone. Uh, uh, we have to wrap up now, but um, I just want to finish up by tying the street names with your work as a tour guide. You're always pounding the streets and stuff. And if you could finish on a note of any um, advice you would give to up-and-coming tour guides. Yeah, so that's absolutely right. Uh, the, the I say I am so I am so lucky. London is my office. I have one of the largest offices of anyone. It's ever changing, and I don't have to pay rates. It's free, and it really is glorious. I think if you are lucky enough to be robust, I, I must say for anybody that's thinking of becoming a tour guide, it is hard work. Uh, don't forget, not only do you need to have an inquisitive mind, you have to do all the research yourself, you have to be able to present it, you have to have a very good voice and you've got to have stamina. You've also got to be able to keep going without going to the toilet and without eating and drinking. Remember everybody eating and drinking can make you burp, not good. Um, and you can't run away in the middle of a tour to say, I'm so, so sorry, please excuse me. So you've got to be pretty robust. Um, I think it's, it really is a wonderful way of indulging your own passions for London, for personalities. Um, and most people who think about being a guide will typically have their own speciality or talent. So for instance, for people who are in the musical world, I often suggest to them, because a lot of people come to me and say, Rachel, we'd love to become a guide. How about it? I said, think about your USP. What will make you apart from other guides? So your musical or your musician. Take people around London concentrating on the musical stories behind the, the uh, streets. I would probably take people around exactly the same area, but it would be a women's tour. Um, say if you've been in the medical world, medical London, the stories are there uh, legal, legal world theatrical world, whatever whatever your USP um, a sporting world, you will find those stories and, and uh, indulge your passions and this is your opportunity to talk about what you want to talk about everybody you have the floor, so go out um, and enjoy there's, uh, London is big and there's room for so many people and so many stories. And however many stories are discovered, there's still plenty more to be told. So looking forward to seeing you. All right. And tell us anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up. Well, before we wrap up, what I'd like to say is that London, as I said, is ever-changing. But so are the stories we tell. And they're always developing. And so I mentioned that I did a, a, a list of, you know, British female firsts. Uh, there are still plenty of things that women are still doing for the first time. And literally, just a month or so ago, I saw this in my metro. You know, no guide, no guide leaves a metro unread. And Trailblazer Rosie is the first woman to finish Paris Tough Course. So in February 2020, a new British female first. Let's hear it for Captain Rosie Wilde, who completed the All Arms pre-parachute selection course at Catterick Garrison in North Yorkshire. Go, Rosie. Go. Rachel Kolsky, thanks so much for being with us on The Workplace. Well, thank you for inviting me. And that's it for today's episode of The Workplace, the radio program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work, produced and presented by me, N.N.D. Today's episode has brought us to the end of our Women's History Month 2020 series and concluded a two-part discussion with Rachel Kolsky, the prize-winning Blue Badge London tour guide and author of five books, including the latest 
which we have been discussing, which is titled Women's London. On this occasion, we talked about the plaques, statues, and street names in honor of women in London. Visit golondontours.com to connect with Rachel. Thanks to my guest, Rachel Kolsky. And thank you so much for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure being in your company. I close sending you and yours best wishes to remain safe and healthy. And here's to hoping that you find new ways to keep working.